I have lived most of my life in border states. Washington, borders Canada, that cold, kind place with weird tasting ketchup. We lived less than an hour from the Canadian border where we lived in the Skagit Valley, and most of the hikes in the North Cascades boast views well into Canada. As it turns out, mountains do not acknowledge borders. Now I get the blessing of living in another border state, bordering a country that is not cold, but is kind, a place where they substitute hot sauce for ketchup. Living in a border place is a strange experience. It's so odd that you can go from one country to another with all of the legal implications that that implies by just taking a step. South Texas looks exactly like Northern Mexico. Northern Washington is the same place as Southern British Columbia. People drew lines between here and there. But as strange as they are, we have lived with borders for a long time. Jesus has found himself at a borderland in our gospel this morning, and that was more than 2,000 years ago. Humans are, are interesting creatures. There's a sense that in this border place that they found themselves, that there was no real belonging, or perhaps it was a place where everybody could belong because there were no us and them only travelers. So the space that our gospel is in this morning is sort of a no man's land that is not claimed by anyone. So perhaps more than anywhere claimed by God. It was in this place that Jesus encountered 10 men with a skin condition. Now in the first century, a skin condition would get you kicked out of a community and fast. There was no cure at the time for leprosy, and so any, anyone with anything remotely like it was just sent into quarantine and taken away from their community, away from their families, and had to live amongst other folk with skin conditions. So these 10 had found each other um, out of survival, created their own community out of their quarantine. When they discovered Jesus in this in-between place, Right? They couldn't be in the city center. They couldn't be in their homes. They were just on the outskirts. They cried out to him. Typically at the time, if you had the skin condition, you were to, whenever you saw someone, you were to cry out, unclean, to try to keep them away. That was part of, of what you were supposed to do in that quarantine. But that day, they cried out, not to distance themselves, but in hope. In crying out, they acknowledge Jesus' power and the healing and possibility that Jesus brought. Jesus, heal us. Jesus called back to them pretty matter-of-factly. Y'all are healed. Go, go show yourselves to the priest. In the first century, um, if one had been banished because of a skin condition, they could not re-enter the community unless they had been declared clean by the priest. I am so glad we don't do that kind of stuff anymore. That's a dermatologist's job, not a pastor's job. No thank you. So Jesus telling them to go to tell their priest is really just the first step toward going home. It was the first step towards their re-entry into community. A, re a necessary step on their way.
Nine of these guys took off immediately. I can't imagine what was going through their minds. Who knows how long they had been ostracized from the community. They were probably thinking about all the things they were going to be able to do again. They were going to be able to taste grandma's cooking again. They would be able to hug their children, their spouses. They would get to sleep in their own bed. They would get to attend a party or go to church. They would get their lives back. Can you imagine after so long being ostracized? One, however, turned back and went to thank Jesus. A lot is made of this one person who turned back to thank him. We often look at him as exemplary. After all, he was the only one out of all of them who thought to say thank you. But remember, Jesus did not say, first, come and thank me. Instead, he said, go and show yourself to the priest. So this man who came back was actually not following directions. And he was a Samaritan, the sworn enemies of the people of Israel. There was a deep, deep animosity and even hatred there. Anytime a Samaritan shows up in the gospel, I'm not sure it can be emphasized enough how shocking and scandalous it was that Jesus included them and embraced them. I don't think we have the empathy to understand hating a group of people like that. At least I hope we don't. But this Samaritan, this person who anyone witnessing the exchange or hearing about it later would recoil over, was the only one who came back to give thanks for his healing. Scholars call this inversion or reversal. And the Gospels, we see it all the time. When Jesus demonstrates that one who we would assume um, is in the wrong or on the outside is actually the insider, and vice versa. It's when, in Jesus' presence, the normal rules of what is important is reversed. So that those that we would look at as surely not belonging, certainly do. And those who we would assume are exemplary are actually shun lacking. Jesus loved to do this. He loved to mess with things. He loved to upset the status quo, and he did this in the story. But there might be another reason, too, why the Samaritan turned around. Perhaps the Samaritan came to Jesus because he knew he would not be welcomed by the priest. The priest would not have had the open-heartedness of Jesus. He would not have wanted to see that man, a Samaritan, who was unclean, skin condition or no. He would have not welcomed him back into the community. The nine, the others, went back to the priest knowing that they would belong again. The Samaritan would never have belonged. So the fact that he came back to Jesus the great high priest, and thanked him, has as much to do with his not belonging in the greater community as it has to do with his exemplary Thanksgiving giving skills. As a faith leader, I'm often faced with stories and experiences that people have had to show how religion gets in the way of people's connection to God. It is meant to be a vehicle and path that leads us to God. But we, as humans, 
in our hubris and small-mindedness, begin to look at the religious institutions and traditions as the way, when we know the way is Jesus. So in their truest heart and intention, religion is meant to be a place where we're connected to God, but these horror stories are alive and well. It's so difficult to try to communicate to folk who've been hurt like this that it was not from God, for they have been taught to equate religion with God. So in this gospel, we see a way out. We see Jesus giving us all hope, showing us that there is a way greater and bigger and purer than our human institutions, and that it can break through always. We are so fortunate to have such a beautiful and loving community here. But that does not mean that we get to look at our community above God's self. We must be oriented to Jesus. And please don't come to me with your skin conditions. <laughs> this makes us a better, healthier body of Christ, a more vibrant people of faith. Jesus established himself and our story in this in-between place, a place that didn't belong to any one people, a place that belonged to everyone. What if we, as the body of Christ, reflected that? What if we were a place that belonged to everyone, with the hospitality and openness and hope of the healing of Jesus? So church, may we be the people who, when invited to go and establish our re-entry into what we want, instead run to Jesus again and again and again, embraced in the way, embraced in resurrection power, embraced in our only hope. Amen. Let's stand together and sing grace like grace. Thank you.